Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure. My name is Jarrett, and I love movies. This week, we have a treat. We're watching the number one rated movie on IMDb, Shawshank Redemption. Released in 1994, it initially did poorly at the box office. It only lasted 10 weeks in theaters compared to Forrest Gump's 42 weeks. It definitely was a slow burn to the top, but thanks to video rentals and TV syndication, more on that later, it became one of the most critically famous movies of all time. It's a perfect example of award shows being pretty hard to believe as it was nominated for seven Academy Awards including Best Picture, Actor, Director, Cinematography, all of which this movie is very good in, but it didn't win one of them. It was directed by Frank Darabont, who would go on to direct Green Mile and The Mist. He would also serve as the director of the first episode of Walking Dead and showrun the first season. The movie stars Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, with the latter lending his voice as a narrator, which is amazing to hear. You don't hear narration much in movies nowadays, but I think I've had two movies now that have had narration in it. This movie was adapted from a Stephen King novella by the name of Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption. The movie is mostly faithful to the novella with a few changes I'll probably mention later. Stephen King has gone on the record saying that this movie and Stand By Me are his favorite movie adaptations. By the way, at least 60 movies have been made from uh, King's 64 novels and almost 200 short stories. That is impressive. The next author in line is Nicholas Sparks with only 11. I remember this movie just being amazing. I, I first watched it after it had become popular because I was too young to watch R-rated movies when it first came out. It was one of the movies that cemented my love for film. Movies didn't have to have action and explosions, which was really big back in the 90s. The story and cinematography are compelling enough. I also remember the story having a lot of tragedy, uh, like when Brooks, the older uh, librarian character, got out of prison, the fact that he didn't know the world anymore, and it was too much for him that he committed suicide, was heartbreaking. The mishandling of reformed individuals getting out of prison was not lost on me. Uh, I'm currently actually a social worker, and something like this is probably the reason why I really wanted to do that. I remember prisoners' rights being very important in this movie. Instilling hope was also a major theme. While it's set in the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, I feel like the story is just as important now. There's something to be said about how this movie rose to fame as well. It is one of the most critically acclaimed movies ever. I said earlier that it is the highest rated movie on IMDb. Uh, which, by the way, it, it currently has a uh, 9.3 on IMDb as the highest rated movie, and, and that's just crazy. We haven't seen, I guess, a true 10 out of 10 movie according to IMDb. Uh, but not only has it been uh, the highest rated movie on IMDb, it has been that way since 2008, which is a long track record. It has a 91% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but with a way more impressive 98% audience rating with over 250,000 ratings. Crazy. It's been a while since I've seen this movie because usually I have to be in a mood to watch it. It's not exactly a feel-good movie, even though the ending sure is. I'm excited to experience it again. 
I'm going to try not to turn the second part of this podcast into a lesson on film theory, but I know I will drift that way a bit with this particular movie. It's just, this movie's just so impressive that I probably won't be able to help myself. There are a lot of items that I will talk about, including why it's so critically acclaimed, the nature of storytelling, and uh, book-to-film translation. I will definitely have those in mind as I watch it. Next up, I will watch the movie, and I'll take notes and report back on what I see. I will be talking in detail about the movie, so spoilers ahead. The question I will be trying to answer is, was this movie the best ever, or is it just a guilty pleasure? Let's watch and find out. And we're back. I forgot just how good that movie was. Let's talk about why. First things first, the comfort of this movie. Yes, it's a movie about prison, and there are scenes where people are literally beaten to death. Uh, There's also allusions to other bad things like rape and murder. Um, What I'm talking about is the uh, pacing of the movie. The movie clocks in at 2 hours and 22 minutes, but it does not feel long at all. There is space for you to settle in. It takes place over decades, but it doesn't feel rushed. You get to know the characters, even the ones who are introduced later on in the movie. I think the narration helps with the comfort. Morgan's Freeman, Morgan Freeman's voice is definitely a part of that. He could read anything, and it would put me to sleep. He connects the story points so you have smooth transitions from storyline to storyline. Even at the end, when he's explaining how Andy escaped, it was excited. It was exciting and placed exactly where you thought it should be. The movie is just comforting overall. Even though the movie is comforting, a lot of difficult stuff happens. First, Andy is wrongly convicted for the murder of his wife and her lover. It's not confirmed until later on, but that tension is built right at the beginning. That first night in prison, someone gets beaten to death, setting up Hadley as an evil character. He eventually gets his just desserts, but every time he's on screen, minus one somewhat humanizing moment, he does something to make you hate him. There is talk about institutionalization, which is a heavy topic when you're talking about prison. Uh, most, the most tragic example is Brooks. I mentioned that one at the top of the podcast. He was in prison for 50 years, but couldn't handle the outside. Uh, he was given an apartment and a job, but the institutionalization he experienced in prison made it so he really couldn't handle the freedom. He was told what to do for so long that he did not know what to do without being told. It was so much that not he that not only did he consider killing someone to go back into prison, he eventually took his own life. The director bookends the story by having Red carve So Was Red next to Brooks carving Brooks Was Here. Red was also struggling uh, whenever he left prison, but the hope of meeting Andy again made him press on and eventually live his life outside of prison. Red, ever the quotable character, talks about institutionalization, saying that you hate the walls at first, and then you get used to them. After a while, you depend on them. You sleep in the same place, you eat, the sa- you eat at the same times, you have the same outside time, you go to the bathroom at the same time, you have routines for everything, and you can't do anything without getting permission of someone in authority. Red does that whenever he asks his boss at the uh, grocery store if he can go to the bathroom. 
I know I'm describing something that people probably already understand, but this movie really lays into it and shows the repercussions of that. I mentioned earlier about prisoners' rights. This is a big part of the movie, uh, as that is essentially what Andy comes in to help out with. That is his whole goal throughout the entire movie, really. He is able to work the system to get even a small bit of prisoners' rights. The best example, obviously, is Andy writing a letter every single week to get funding for a new library. He eventually gets what he wants, and then continues to write even more letters to get even more funding. Something that was overlooked and brought to the forefront, uh, and became a great opportunity for prisoners. Sure, the warden took credit for it in the press conference, but the prisoners still got something that they needed. An early example of uh, his uh, wanting to get prisoners' rights was Andy offering his expertise to Hadley, even though he was literally threatening to throw him off the roof. He secures a break from the work and beers for his fellow inmates, and this is the moment where Hadley shows even a modicum of decency when he speaks to the inmates. And I believe, as I watch the movie, that is his only real moment of humanity. The only thing that I feel is an issue is that it seems that Andy and Red's crew are the only ones trying to do better, uh, to trying to better the prison, which I guess is because obviously this is a movie about them. Uh, and there's no indication that anything will change after Andy leaves. The next thing about this movie is translation from book to movie. This is usually a heated topic with a lot of people on both sides. I will try to navigate the um, this as best as I can. Back in college, uh, I needed to take a literature class as a general credit. I lucked out because the class that I was able to take was all about translating books to movies. We would read the books or short stories and then watch the movies. We would compare the two books and movies um, in papers. It was awesome. Uh, it also gave me an appreciation for the process. I mentioned the word translation a few times. Uh, the class's te textbook that we had for that was uh, focused on that terminology because it makes more sense in what's being done than an adaptation. The written media is being translated to a visual medium, uh, which inherently has its difficulties and challenges. Yes, there are some choices in the translation that sometimes don't make sense, but sometimes these choices are done because there's limitations. A common phrase when you see movies that are based on books is that the book is better than the movie. While at its heart that may be true, but oftentimes you need to take that movie and the book as separate pieces of art. A very famous example of this is uh, The Walking Dead. Frank Darabont directed the first episode and show ran the first uh, first season. The comic book is uh, that it's based on is very different than what we see in the show. At times, the comic book is more gruesome, but the show also gets pretty dark. The show added a whole new character named Merle that, uh, or sorry, uh, that named Daryl that never shows up in the comic at all. He becomes a fan favorite and is a staple of the show, despite being an original character to the uh, the, the show and, and not in the comic at all. The show hits some of the major beats that are in the comic, but overall is pretty different. You have to take them both as separate pieces of art. Books can also depict things that may be impossible to do in movie form. Uh, take probably one of the most polarizing book-to-screen translations, Lord of the Rings. 
The first movie came out in 2001, which means it was filmed and edited in the late 90s. The technology of that time was limited, but better than if it would have been made whenever it first came out in the 60s. Peter Jackson made his changes to fit his narrative and fit the massive books into three feature-length films. This is also why the extended editions are often described as the only ways to watch, because of the uh, added total of 125 extra minutes uh, makes things so much better. Another example of translating things into film is High Fidelity, a movie that I've done on this podcast. The main character has a lot of exposition in that book. The book is first person, uh, and how that was translated was into fourth wall breaking monologues that I, I really feel captured the essence and of the book and the character of Rob in that book perfectly. This movie is on the top of the IMDb best movies. Not only is the top, not only is that top movie, but I mentioned earlier that it's had that top spot since 2008. So why is this movie so popular? Why has it stood the test of time? I feel like this is the perfect movie for this podcast because not only is it a movie from my childhood, it is a movie with staying power. The movie could be argued as the best ever and most definitely not a guilty pleasure. Uh, Roger Ebert, a famous movie critic, reviewed this movie twice. When it first came out in 94, he gave it three and a half stars. He reviewed it again in 1999 and gave it four stars. Why the slight but still increase in rating? It's probably built really into the story. The story grows on you. I, I mentioned earlier that the movie did not do great at the box office. It wasn't until the movie came out on VHS and was syndicated on TV that it gained popularity. It did debut as number as the number two movie on IMDb when it first came out, but it didn't hit number one until 97, three years after its release. I know we're only talking about one ranking, but with the amount of movies released every single year, it's impressive to even hold spots on that list. There are a few common refrains in reviews of this movie. One is the pacing. I mentioned the pacing earlier that um, it's a lot better. It's comfortable pace. Most agree that the movie tells the passage of time well. Uh, it only drags maybe a bit in the middle, but overall the movie is paced well. Pacing is a common complaint in a lot of movies. It's hard to tell a story in a finite amount of time. Uh, the average length of the top 10 movies in 2021 was 2 hours and 10 minutes. In 1990... Just four years before this movie came out, it was an hour and 51 minutes. So this movie, clocking in at just over two hours, two hours and 22 minutes, um, is, is paced really well despite being a bit longer than the average movie in that time. Sometimes movies are paced too fast in an effort to tell a story in a short amount of time. This one is not one of those movies. Another common positive in the reviews of this movie is the poetic nature of the ending. The whole movie is building up to something. Andy comes in and changes everything. He works towards bettering, bettering everyone's life, including his own. He is patient and present within the situation that he was placed in. He knows he is innocent, but sees an opportunity to better himself and others while working towards a goal, escape. He is always dreaming about something better like Ziwataneo, often talking about his newfound, uh, talking about it with his new 
found best friend Red. He paints a picture of something greater, despite the horrible situation that he and his friends are in. He eventually gets out, and in doing so, he assists his friend with bettering himself. He made it out with $370,000 of the warden's money, which, in 1966, when he broke out, is just over $3.2 million in today's money. That's good restitution for 19 years of wrongful imprisonment. The other common positive that we see in the reviews is, of course, the acting. Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins are perfect for their roles, even though they are a bit different from their characters in the book. They are believable as friends, and also Morgan Freeman's voice in the narration doesn't hurt. <laughs> uh, the supporting actors are all great, too. Bob Gunton plays a warden that can flip a switch from nice to evil really, really well. Clancy Brown, as Hadley, is evil all around. Uh, the casting in this movie is just great. I've already mentioned it, but this movie is amazing. I, I don't have to tell you if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen this movie and you know that it's really, really good. Uh, it holds up really well. It deserves the top spot in IMDb's best movie list. Um, I do need to watch this movie more often. I would highly recommend that you catch it again. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure podcast. We'll be back next time with another movie from my past. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because it really helps to get people to listen. Until next time, watch more movies. Watch more movies.